Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Good evening and please be seated. Merry Christmas and I'm glad at least some of us ventured out in the weather and hopefully everybody else is just not wanting to get wet tonight. It was a bit dreary. This past week, our presiding bishop wrote to us a Christmas epistle to remind his clergy of a few things. We as clergy and faithful Christians have a tendency to become tremendously negative about the secularization of Christmas. And of course, this tendency is incredibly tempting. And yet he rightly observes that we all adopt some of the secular leanings of our modern Christmas time. I remember a few years ago when Christmas fell on a Sunday, several, I think mostly non-Anglican churches, flat out canceled services that day. This choice was greeted with bemusement by several of us. But as high-minded as we might get, we delight in buying our loved ones gifts to make them smile cooking elaborate dinners and to break bread with those who are most dearest with us and to gather around the Christmas trees for merriment. But to be honest, these things are good. It is good to shower our families with affections and to welcome loved ones into our homes. But one would hope that we would keep in mind the ultimate reason for our Christmas gatherings. Tonight we assemble together amidst the busyness, amidst the hustle and bustle and encroachment of secularism, and we pause for just a moment to sing praises to our incarnate Lord, to take a moment to rejoice that the second person of the Trinity became lowly and dwelt among us, and rejoice that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those that dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. We pause as a reminder of what this time is really all about. Of course, it is good and worthwhile to spend time with our family, to laugh and to dine together, to be merry and to bring each other good cheer. But we must bear in mind that the light of the world has broken in the light of the world has become a man and dwelt among us. The light of the world has come to live and die for the life of humanity. The merriment and cheer of this season pales in comparison with the glory of Christ coming into the world. The glory of that baby laid in the feeding trough in Jerusalem in a Judean barn. 2,000 years ago. Of course, we have a tendency to romanticize the birth of Christ because it is such an amazing thing. Rather, the birth is one of the earliest things in the life of Christ that hints to us that he is fully human, just as he is fully God. His birth was like so many before and after. It was a fully human birth. Yet the amazement of the incarnation should give us pause 
and drive us to glorify God and sing praises with the angels. J.I. Packer compares the amazement of this in his, captures the amazement of this in his book, Knowing God, when he wrote, the Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wiggle and make noises. He needed to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. What a staggering thought when you give it a little time to set in. Like you and I, the second person of the Trinity spent time as a helpless baby, completely given to the will of his earthly parents, completely dependent upon them to care. Likewise, we sang that hymn by J.F. Wade tonight, which captures the wonder in another beautiful and poetic way in that hymn, O Come, All Ye Faithful, as he penned, Child, for us sinners poor in the main, and in the manger, we would embrace thee with love and awe who would not love thee loving us so dearly. The great humility and compassion of God to become completely helpless and lowly to cast out the darkness of our sins. And likewise, the modern songwriter Andrew Peterson captures this again as he wrote, Sing out for joy for the brave little boy who was God but made himself nothing. He gave up his pride and he came here to die like a man. Christ's mission is clear. Clear from the very beginning that he came to save his people, those who had wandered so far. He came to be a shepherd to the lost and the weary. He came to redeem the people who scorned the God of Israel, the one true, the one living and faithful Lord. What good news, what great news is this? And as we read St. Luke's Gospel, we pick up on something else. We read of a powerful earthly king who hopes to shore up his majestic position by ordering some sort of census. Most likely, it was so that he could levy more taxes upon his kingdom. And in doing so, he becomes a pawn and makes it so that the one true king, the king of kings and lord of lords, can be born in his rightful place, be born in that ancestral city of David. It was the census that brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem, while Mary was heavy with child. And yet it is before Christ that even Caesar Augustus will bow one day. We are reminded from the get-go that ultimately Christ is the king and the true and sovereign of the universe. Christ, the innocent baby, born and wrapped in a swaddling cloth, laid in a manger, who will overthrow every worldly government and to whom every knee shall bow. And what is most interesting here, as we rush around in the midst of our modern Christmas, is to think about the, that first Christmas, and we can get hints that perhaps it was utterly chaotic in Bethlehem as well. Perhaps even worse than Walmart tonight. 
Our text tells us that there was no room in the inn, but most agree that this is an odd translation, more dependent upon tradition than the reality of what the text actually says. It would seem that the census had brought many of the relatives of Joseph to town, and there was no room in the guest room. There was no room in the family house of Joseph for him and his fiancée. Or perhaps there was shame. Shame of Joseph who was telling this far-fetched seeming story of his wife-to-be's so-called virgin conception. And his family imagined that this was some tall tale. And so they gave him some room in a stall for animals so he could register and go away. And yet it was a virgin birth. Yet it was a miracle. Yet amidst the busyness, amidst everyone's rushing around to register, to go about their business, the light came into the world. And yet the world did not recognize it, did not care. A mere six miles south of Jerusalem, a little baby was born, a mere six miles south of where he would die, he lay helpless and vulnerable as the world swirled around him. No friends, this was no mere birth from some promiscuous teenager telling a crazy story. This was a miraculous birth of a man who would change the world, who would set his captive people free, who would set a sinner like me free from my inner darkness. Christ came into the world to save sinners, to set the captives free. And here I want to pause and read in part of our bishop's letter. He writes, I want to make special mention at this time of the many who cannot appreciate the joy and happiness of the season due to the loss of a loved one or illness or loneliness. One of the wonderful gifts we have as a church is to love those who know the sadness at Christmas time. Jesus said to you, truly I say to you, as you do, did unto one of the least of my brothers, you did unto me. Those who are struggling with grief and loneliness are among us in our parishes and are often overlooked. He writes, I encourage you to reach out to them. As we contemplate this amazing gospel reading tonight, make note of who plays a prominent role in the narrative. The government who is used like a pawn, who was embarrassed as Christ the Lord, the King of Kings, was born totally unnoticed to them. A pregnant teenager and her soon-to-be spouse, who are most likely shunned by their families. The shepherds, the outcast of society. We hear nothing of a grumpy innkeeper or even the relatives of Mary and Joseph. We hear nothing of the head of the town. No one outside of the handful of people seem to know what's going on. Well, the wool is pulled over the eyes of the powerful. The world remained busy and oblivious. No, Christmas is not for the prominent and self-important. Christmas is not for the self-absorbed and the proud. Christmas is for the poor and the downtrodden. Christmas is for those who are heartbroken, 
who have no one but God himself. Christmas is for those who see their sin for what it is and know the weight of it and the reality that they are debtors who owe more than 10 lifetimes worth of salary and can never pay back the lender. Christmas is for sinners like you and I who come humbly before their king and God and cry with broken hearts to experience the incredible love that would send the Almighty down to be an innocent babe laid in a smelly manger as animals bayed and Mary cried. Let us not lose sight of what Christmas is truly about. Let us remember to be those who be to those who are suffering the light of Christ, as he has been the light of life to us, the source of our hope amidst turmoil. And those dear precious shepherds, God does not announce to the priests to the religious leaders, to the governmental leaders, that Christ has been born. Though Christ would be the best prophet, the greatest high priest, and all governments are upon his shoulder. No, God announces his birth to the shepherds. It is particularly poignant because it would seem that shepherds were despised by the leaders of the day. Their work would not allow them to keep the ceremonial cleanliness laws that had popped up in the rabbinical tradition, and thus they were viewed as dirty and lowly. They lived in the messy reality of dealing with animals day in and day out, and as such, they were the, the lowliest estate. The birth was announced to messy people, and the birth is good news to messy people today. God did not come to those who have their lives perfectly together, nor does he demand that we get it together before we come to him. God incarnate came to those whose lives were imperfect, and as such they knew the glory of the Lord. One commentator hypothesized something interesting, though there doesn't seem to be any discernible proof that I can find. It is entirely possible, though, that these shepherds were the same shepherds that kept the flock for the temple sacrifice. So the commentator notes that it's possible that the ones who kept the lambs for the daily sacrifice in God's temple were the first witnesses to the final lamb, the perfect lamb who would be slain for all of mankind. Well, I'm not convinced that this is definitively true. It has significance that we are in the shadow of the holy city, a mere six miles south of Jerusalem. The ones who were scorned for their work and yet cared for lambs day in and day out were the first to see the lamb who would be sacrificed for mankind. And with the announcement to the shepherds, all of heaven explodes forth with joy. So amazing was that birth that the angels could not contain their excitement. The beautiful calamitous bursting came forth and the angels cried together, glory to God in the highest. For the child king is born, the child king who would bring peace to earth, peace to all sinners, Peace to those who put in trust in him. Born in the city of David tonight, 
Alleluia and Amen. Tonight we read of the lowly being brought good news because God in the highest humbled himself and became man, was born of a virgin, was a vulnerable baby laid in the lowest and meanest of estates. All so he could set the captives free. All so he could give peace in the midst of a crazy world. All so we could be redeemed to God and know him. And not just know him, but be adopted as sons and daughters. What good news and glad tidings those angels brought forth that Christmas night. In the midst of the busyness of this season, let us take a deep breath and remember that precious child who grew to be the captive king on the cross and give thanks for his great humility and great mercy. In the busyness of this season, let us take a deep breath and give thanks for that mercy. In the busyness of this season, let us show those who are struggling and hurting in our community that we care for them. In the busyness of this season and all times, let us be the hands of our incarnate Lord and love those well around us that we might all sing glory to God in the highest for his incredible mercy set forth on that first Christmas day. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.